Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Hebrews chapter number 8. We are making our way through the book of Hebrews. Uh, There are 13 chapters in the book of Hebrews, and so we are taking a week at a time, kind of, looking at a survey of these different chapters in in hopes to understand what the writer of Hebrews was giving to this specific group of people uh, as, uh, as some parting words, if you would. How many of you understand just because something is new does not mean that it is better? How many of you have a smartphone? Let's see your hands. How many of your smartphones are smarter than you? Keep them up. Uh, you ever have a phone that goes through an update? And then things just don't work the way they're supposed to work anymore. Um, how about newer cars versus cars from 40, 50 years ago? If you ever take the time uh, to pop the hood of your uh, car and look at it, likely there's just this plastic uh, covering, covering all of the actual engine and, and, the, and the mechanical parts that are underneath the car. Uh, appliances, furniture. How many of you have furniture that is perhaps 30, 40, 50 years old? And when we look at things that are a little bit older and we say, boy, they just don't make them like they used to, right? Sometimes just because it's new does not mean it's better. The tr- this truth was showcased way back in 1985. An iconic American company infuriated even its most loyal customers 35 years ago, all in the name of cost-cutting. It was 1985 that Coca-Cola announced that it would discontinue its beloved Coca-Cola. How many of you are Coke fans? Let's see them. How many of you are Pepsi fans? All right. I won't pick a side. It's not the battle I want to fight today. They got rid of Coca-Cola Classic, um, and they introduced a new product known as Coke 2, or New Coke, and it was a disaster. It came across to many as an irrational response to Pepsi-Cola's sales surging in the mid-80s. And so the company told the media it was trying to adjust the formula for modern taste buds. The new formula would cost, would save Coke about $50 million per year because it cut back on some of the more costly ingredients, and Coke turned its back on the very thing that made it great. What's interesting is by, uh, by July, or a few months later, uh, the corporate offices of Coca-Cola were receiving 1,500 calls a day demanding that Coca-Cola Classic be back. Uh, I worked in a call center before. I know what those calls sounded like, and it's not pretty. You imagine a company getting 1,500 calls a day in response to something they thought the public actually wanted. In a few months, Coca-Cola Classic was reintroduced. New Coke was a soon memory. In fact, I was doing some research on this, um, and when they announced that Coca-Cola Classic was coming back, it was such a big deal that Peter Jennings... ABC News anchor interrupted live daytime television. General Hospital was on. They interrupted General Hospital. How many of you know what General Hospital is? I got you all. Got you all. 
General Ho- they, they interrupted General Hospital just to announce that Coca-Cola Classic was coming back. As we said earlier, just because something is new does not mean it's better. In fact, sometimes it's a guarantee that new is just going to be a letdown. We're in the book of Hebrews, and we are looking at an audience of people that are very partial to the good old days. The writer of Hebrews is writing to these persecuted Hebrew Jewish Christians, and they found themselves looking for the good old days. They adopted this new faith, but when they adopted this new faith, they realized that they themselves were polarized. They were not treated the same anymore. Uh, The family that they had would disappear. The friends that they had would disappear. If they had a business, business was likely failing. They were cast out from society. They were asked to leave. They were asked to uh, leave or go back to their old faith. Hebrews was written for these persecuted, persecuted Jewish Christians who were torn between this new faith and their old ways. And the message of Hebrews is this, don't give up because Jesus is greater. He begins in chapter 1 and he says, Jesus is greater than even the angels. They remembered the angels because the angels played a very prominent role in Old Testament scripture. In the Old Testament scripture, the angels were the messengers of good news. They were the ones that would uh, deliver the news from God. And so when Jesus, or when God said, Jesus is greater because he's greater than the angels, that meant something for them. He goes on to describe that Jesus is greater Because he's greater than our sufferings. And if you suffer for your faith, what is happening is you're actually identifying with Jesus. And he's present with you during your sufferings. He's greater than our doubts and our unbeliefs. He's greater. He's greater because he is our high priest. We talked about what that role would look like. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more today. Um, He's greater. And because he's greater, the writer of Hebrews said a few chapters ago, it's time to move on to greater things. It's time to be mature in our faith. No longer are we just going to rest on the milk that we're receiving, but we're going to move on to greater ideas on what it looks like to have a spiritual mature life that bears fruit. It was time to move on to greater things. Last week we talked about that he was greater than any person, past or present, and because of that, you can put your hope in Jesus, both for today's presence, but also for his future faithfulness. And when they would say that they were, uh, they were looking forward to the old, they, they, were, they were clamoring for the good old days, what we're saying is the old way of living was a covenant that had been handed down from God to Moses generations ago. The old covenant was the way to be made right with God and to have a relationship with God. And the way these Hebrew Christians were reacting is this, boy, if it was good enough for Moses, it's good enough for me. And this was very significant and meaningful for them. It was something that connected them to their forefathers, uh, something that identified with the forefathers of the faith. And for generations and generations, this is how the faith operated. You had an old covenant that God handed to Moses. Moses gave it to us. And ever since then, we just simply follow what the old covenant had established. We come to chapter 8, and the writer of Hebrews is calling into question the old covenant. He's calling into question everything they had nude. He is serving them new Coke when all they really wanted was Coca-Cola Classic. 
They just had to ruffle some feathers, so to speak. How many of you know what it feels like when your feathers get ruffled? Right? This is what was happening. Not only did he question the old covenant he provided, or that he had given to Moses, now the writer of Hebrews is providing a new alternative to the old covenant called the new covenant provided by Jesus Christ. And this is what the author is allowing us to understand is because the old covenant was limited and temporary, God knew there would be a need for a new covenant. Look at Hebrews chapter number 8. We're going to read all the verses in Hebrews and we're going to kind of unpack it as we go. But the writer of Hebrews makes this case. In verse 1 he says this, Now the main point of what we are saying is this, We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human. Verse 3, it says this, Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one to also have something to offer. Remember, he's just finished his reasoning on why Jesus is greater than Abraham and Melchizedek. Dean, you want to move to the pulpit, Mike? He had just given the reason why Jesus is greater than both Abraham and Melchizedek. And both of those Old Testament heroes pale in comparison to what Jesus did for us. Here in chapter 8, he is furthering this case. And in verse 4, he says this, If he were on the earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve as a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what heaven is. Boy, a copy and a shadow is significant. It's meaningful, but it's not the real thing. He goes on to say this. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on this mountain. What he's saying is this. The assigned task of a high priest is to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and it's no different with the priesthood of Jesus. And if Jesus were limited to earth, he would not even be a priest. He would not even, he, we would not need him since there are plenty of priests who offer the gifts designated by the law. Then the writer of Hebrews drops this on his audience. Look at verse 6. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant established is established on better promises. Boy, he's using some strong language here. He is, he is taking their old faith, their old covenant, and he says there's something new that's superior. There's something new that is established on better promises. What you had was the old covenant. I'm about to reveal to you what the new covenant is all about. So once a year, the Jewish people would take care of their sin problem with a yearly sacrifice. Under the old way provided by God to Moses, once a year, you would bring your sin offerings to the priest, and the high priest would serve as a mediator or as a bridge to God. They would bring the sacrifices, and the high priest would go to God on their behalf and offer their sin offering for their sin to God for forgiveness. And they would be forgiven and made right with God. And sometimes I think that would be a whole lot easier. You imagine if there was just one day on the calendar, 
And as long as you came on that one day and you brought a sacrifice, that all your sins for the previous year would be forgiven. This is how the Old Testament worked. People would leave the temple and they would enter into a new year. And they would do their absolute best to abide by the law and make sure that they wouldn't break any commandments. But inevitably, the next year, they were to come again and bring a new sin offering for the new year. Over and over, year after year, this was the old covenant. It was limited and it was temporary. It was limited because you could only get one year's worth of your sin forgiven. And it was temporary because you had to come back year after year after year. And people, as we know, when they left for their new year, were not able to keep up the bargain. And they would sin and brokenness would enter their lives. And so they would come back year after year. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says in verse 7, If there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. In other words, if the first covenant was complete, if the first covenant was enough, there would not be a new need for a new covenant. In other words, there would not be a need for Jesus. Because the Old Testament was the old covenant was enough. But we see here that the old covenant was limited and temporary, so God granted Jesus. He granted us a new covenant. Aren't you glad there is no need for a yearly sin offering any longer? Aren't you glad there isn't a date circled on the calendar, Darren, where you and I have to stand in the lobby and we have to receive the animals and the sacrifice as appointed for their sin, and then you would go back and you would try your very best for a whole year to do really well, only to show up year after year after year. He provided a new covenant so that his death on the cross would provide us a way to enter into a relationship with him and have everlasting life. It's complete and it's eternal. Now, the writer of Hebrews does something really significant here for his audience. He begins to quote from one of the prophets that they loved, that they adored, that they respected, and that was Jeremiah. Look at verse number 8. This is where God gives Jeremiah a word of prophecy, and so the writer of Hebrews quotes from Jeremiah. Verse 8, he says this, God found fault with the people. In other words, the, the sin problem was not fixed. There was still brokenness within us. So he said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned them away from them, declares the Lord. You see, because the old covenant was limited and temporary, God knew there would be a need for a new covenant. So the words continue in verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. So look at what God promises that comes with the new covenant. He says, I'll put their laws, I will put the laws in their minds. I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Boy, Do you see what's happening with the new covenant that wasn't happening in the old covenant? In the new covenant, Jesus does all the work. 
In the new covenant, it is on him. He now steps in as our high priest. And the sacrifice that's required for our sins, Jesus actually becomes himself. And as a result of that, he will remember our sins no more. Jesus does for us in the new covenant what thousands of years under the old covenant could never do. And that is this, to make us perfect in God's sight, in Christ, and we claim his forgiveness because of his life, his death, and resurrection. Oswald Chambers said something very interesting about this phenomenon. He said this, Think what faith in Jesus Christ claims and provides. He can provide us faultless. He can present us faultless before the throne of God, inexpressibly pure, absolutely righteous, and profoundly justified. This is what the new covenant promises. So what are the gifts of the new covenant? Just quickly, there's four gifts that come with the new covenant this morning. First of all, this new covenant gives us the gift of new purity. The gift of new purity. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 21 says this. God made him who had no sin. Who is that? Yeah, that's the only person he could be talking about, right? There is no person that has ever been born that doesn't have sin in him. So God says this, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. The gift of the new covenant is this, because he came, because he became sin for us, he died on the cross, he was buried, and because he was resurrected, he gives us purity. We become the righteousness of God. Number two, this covenant gives us the gift of new identity. The gift of new identity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this earlier in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. But I'll be honest with you, when I read 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, it doesn't always feel like this is a reality. It doesn't always feel that when I'm in Christ, I'm new. In fact, sometimes I think, boy, I still have the same old habits. I still have the same old temptations. I still have the same old way of thinking. And sometimes this verse doesn't make sense. What he's saying here is this. This means anyone who belongs to Christ has a new identity. The old one is gone and the new one has begun. We are now sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus has done. We are his permanently. So he gives us a new purity. He gives us a new identity. He also gives us a new desire. We're going to go to Jeremiah 31 here, where the writer of Hebrews was quoting from earlier, and he says this, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. He put the law in our minds and he writes them in our hearts and he changes us from the inside. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives us a new desire from the inside out. Fourthly, there's a new gift comes from the new covenant and that is this. It's the gift of new power. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 says it this way. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Boy, Ephesians says it this way. I pray that the eyes of your heart 
may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glory, glorious inheritance to his holy people, and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. This new covenant is greater than the old covenant. And the new covenant comes with these new gifts. And the biggest barrier for us living in the new covenant is us. You see, God knew he had to save us from ourselves. There's a tendency for us to go back to what is familiar. And for us, that means, boy, trying to earn it on our own, trying to gain favor with God by the way we behave or the way we act, to try to do enough to be accepted by God. And we have to come to the realization, boy, that there is nothing that we could do to ever earn the favor of God. There's nothing that we could do to ever earn his acceptance. And we will never experience the joy that comes with the new covenant if we're, stri- if we're still trying to live within the old covenant. That old covenant was just a symbol of something greater. I have a lot of pictures of my wife in a lot of different places, right? I'm sure your home is the same. I have pictures of Libby in my office. I have pictures of us in our home. There's a picture on my phone They remind me of her. They point to her. They are symbolic of the time spent with her. Those pictures are not the real thing, though. And how silly it would be for me to have the opportunity to spend time with my wife or to spend time with my picture and say, oh, it's all right, babe. I I got your picture. I'm good. We're fine. And given the chance, why would we ever embrace the old covenant when Jesus stands arms wide open inviting you into the new covenant? You say, Daniel, this doesn't really apply to me. I'm not Jewish. I'm not in the Old Testament anymore. I don't offer sacrifices. I don't come to God every year. I don't come to him every week. I don't, I, this is not part of how I operate in this faith. This old versus the new doesn't really make sense to me. When was the last time you didn't offer a prayer because you felt like you hadn't earned God's ear? When was the last time you avoided scripture because you felt like he was angry with you? When was the last time you avoided God or, or, or the relationship God has to provide because there was something in your life that you said, boy, if I could only fix this problem in my life, I could then earn his presence. I could then earn his gift. I could then earn. This is what the Hebrew Christians were going through. They were persecuted for their faith. And because of their persecution, it came to a, a, a clear moment in their life where they had to decide, am I going to give up what God has granted and promised me, or am I going to go back to what is familiar? God asks us to do the same thing. We will never experience the joy that comes with the new covenant if we are still trying to live within the old covenant. This is the gift of God. It's interesting because as you read the book of Hebrews, you find the writer of Hebrews repeating himself on these lessons. In the next chapter, we're going to look at how he encourages a new way of thinking for these Hebrew persecuted Christians. 
But in, in chapters past, we saw that the, the theme is just repeated. Jesus is greater. I know how important you thought the angels were. Jesus is greater. I know how important Moses was to you and how Abraham was to you. Jesus is greater. I know how important the sacrifice system was to you and how those priests were integral to your faith, but Jesus is the greater high priest. I know that in the middle of your suffering, it feels like you can't trust God, but he is greater than your sufferings because he is present. Boy, I know it feels like your doubts and your unbelief are just so great that you cannot penetrate through them and walk into a new maturity. And the writer of Hebrews over and over and over again says, Jesus is greater. Don't give up on this faith because he is greater and he will sustain you. So church family, let me ask you, where is the area of your life where you need to remind yourself Jesus is greater than this right here? Whatever you're trying to earn, whatever you're trying to do, whatever you're trying to put in your life in order so that you can come to God, he is already standing with wide open arms asking you to come. This is the gift of the new covenant. Boy, he gives us a new purity so we get to stand in the righteousness of God. He gives us a new identity so we get to claim to be sons and daughters. He gives us a new desire so as we yield ourselves to him, the Holy Spirit fills our hearts and our minds with an appetite for his righteousness. And he gives us a new power so that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives within us. Boy, at the end of your outline, there's a few questions I would love for us to consider this morning. Under the section called Reflect and Respond, what is the difference for you between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? What is the difference? What is, what is your role in the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant? What has God done to cause a difference between those two? And that dovetails into number two, have you embraced the reality of the new covenant? Boy, this new covenant gives us a bunch of gifts. Which gift of the new covenant do you need to embrace today? Is it purity? Do you need to stand in God's righteousness once again and embrace that for yourselves? Is it identity? Is it a new desire or the gift of power? I want to close from a verse in Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says this. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies bodies, by the same Spirit living within you. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Boy, just because something is new does not mean it is better. This is the exception to that rule. The new covenant is greater because Jesus is greater. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Won't you embrace the gifts that God has granted in the new covenant? Won't you repent? Won't you turn to God rather than trying to earn God's favor on your own? Because here, the message of Hebrews is very clear Jesus is greater. He's greater than your doubts. He's greater than your unbelief. He's greater than your suffering. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that life-giving power that allowed Jesus to resurrect from the grave, now lives in you because Jesus is greater. Let's bow for a word of prayer, can we?
We're going to take a moment and we're going to worship in just a few moments some songs that reflect the truth of what we believe. And if you've, as a, the worship team is going to find their places to help us worship in just a few moments, but, but if you have never placed your trust in God and began a personal relationship with him, boy, today is the day. I want you to think about this. If we could be good enough, if we could earn favor with God, if we could live a life good enough to be recognized as holy, there would never have been a need for Jesus. There would never have been a need for Jesus to sacrifice himself and to die on the cross. If you could live a life good enough to earn your way into a relationship with God, Jesus would have never had to die on the cross. Also, if, if you could earn your way to God, the, the logic should also serve that at some point in your life you could unearn your way to God. Boy, the fact of the matter is there's just there's nothing we could do. The Bible says we're all like sheep. We've, we've actually gone astray. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that seeks after God. There's none that pray and declare their devotion to God. We have all gone astray. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our love, our Lord. And God sent him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Boy, the thief comes and he, he comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Boy, I would encourage you today to pray and place your trust in Christ if you've never done that. If you're sitting in this auditorium or if you're watching online or if you're listening later, later, let today be the day you put your trust in Christ and Christ alone. In a few moments when we take communion together, Pastor Darren is going to lead us. And when he leads us, you can identify with Christ by taking communion with us. It's the time where we honor his sacrifice for us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, boy, let me ask you this question. Which of the gifts of the new covenant do you need to claim today? He promises us new purity. You know, we don't have to be a slave to our sin anymore. You don't have to be chained to the, the regret and the guilt and the shame and the, the degradation of our sin. We have been made free through Christ. Maybe it's the gift of new identity and, and of all the labels that are going around in your head. You need the label of son or daughter implanted in your heart anew. 
Someone once said that Satan knows your name and he calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin and he calls you by your name. For that is the difference with the new identity. We are not broken anymore. We're not, we're not under that label anymore. But his banner over us now is love. His label over us is love. Maybe it's the gift of a new desire. And you say, boy, I just I want to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Maybe that's the gift you need to embrace today. Maybe for some of us, it's the, the gift of power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let today be the day that you claim these gifts of the new covenant. Father, we, we yield ourselves to you in this moment. Father, thank you for fulfilling the law and providing us this new covenant. Thank you for the gift of eternal life, the gift of a relationship with you, the forgiveness that you grant. And Father, I pray for anyone who has never made that decision to put their trust in you, that today would be a day of celebration, that they would come to you in full faith and trust, that they would have the courage to reach out to their friends and family and say, boy, I did something today that's going to change my life. I put my trust in Christ. Give them the courage to to reach out, Father. Father, I pray for those of us who are, who are followers, and I pray for myself, Lord, that in my own life that I would embrace these identities anew, that I would claim your purity and your righteousness, that I would not listen to my past or my failures or my guilt or my shame, but I would claim your identity in my life, that I would feed the Holy Spirit within me so that I can hunger and thirst after righteousness and have a new desire. And Father, may my life be a life, may our lives be lives of power. The resurrection power that lives within us. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would be honored with how we respond to your scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.